Today is October 31st. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer. Welcome in and welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. What a joy and an honor to be with you on the last day of the month of October. Y'all, you know what this means, right? It's time to put your Christmas trees up. Yes, Thanksgiving and Christmas go together. Y'all know that. So go to the basement, to the attic, to the garage, wherever you keep all of your Christmas stuff and bring it out, bring it out, bring it out because it is the tis the season right now. All right. On another note, we are 10 months down, just two to go. And what an eventful 10 months it has been both in the word and in my personal life. Y'all probably have some stuff too, but wait, wait until y'all hear what I have to share (laughs) at the end of this episode. God is so faithful. But for right now, let's just release anything that we brought into this space that does not belong here, any stresses, worries, concerns, pressures, anxieties, anything that would interfere or disrupt our ability to connect with our creator in this moment. Let's just set it aside for now and really surrender to God our will and our way, our desires, our aspirations, our dreams, our doubts, our fears. Let's give it all to him in this moment and let him handle it because he is certainly capable. And then let's turn our hearts and our minds towards this living word and see what it is that God has for us and what it is that he wants from us today. Lamentations chapters four and five, names of God Bible. The prophet speaks out, Zion's suffering was worse than Sodom's. Look how the gold has become tarnished. The fine gold has changed. The sacred stones are scattered at every street corner. Zion's precious children, who are worth their weight in fine gold, are now treated like clay pots, like those made by a potter's hands. Even jackals offered their breasts to nurse their young. But the women of my people are as cruel as wild ostriches. The tongues of nursing infants stick to the roofs of their mouths because of their thirst. Little children beg for bread, but no one will break off a piece for them. Those who used to eat delicacies are now destitute in the streets. Those who used to wear expensive clothes now pick through piles of garbage. The punishment for my people's wickedness has been more severe than the punishment for the sins of Sodom. Sodom was destroyed instantly without one human hand touching it. Zion's princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more pink than coral. Their hair was like sapphires. Their faces are now blacker than soot. No one recognizes them on the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as bark. Those who were killed with swords are better off than those who are dying from starvation. Those who were stabbed bled to death. The others are dying because there is nothing in the fields to eat. The hands of loving mothers cooked their own children. The children were used for food by my people when they were being destroyed by a blockade. Yahweh's fury has accomplished his purpose. He unleashed his burning anger. He started a fire in Zion that even burned its foundations. Neither the kings of the earth nor anyone living on earth could believe that enemies or invaders would ever get through the gates of Jerusalem. They got through because of the sins of Jerusalem's prophets and the crimes of its priests 
who spilled the blood of righteous people within it. My people staggered blindly through the streets. They were so contaminated with bloodstains that no one would touch their clothes. Get away, you're unclean, people yelled at them. Get away, get away, don't touch anyone. When they fled and wandered around, the people of the nation said, they can't stay here any longer. Yahweh himself has scattered them. He will no longer look favorably on them. They no longer respected the priests, nor did they honor their older leaders. The people of Zion speak out. We are still straining our eyes, trying in vain to find help. We waited and waited for a nation that didn't save us. The enemy kept tracking us down, so we couldn't even go out into the streets. Our end was near. Our time was up. Our end had come. Those who were hunting us were faster than eagles in the sky. They chased us in the mountains and ambushed us in the wilderness. The person Yahweh anointed as king, who is the breath of our life, was caught in their pits. We had thought that we would live in our king's shadow among the nations. The prophet speaks out, be warned about Edom's impending doom. Rejoice and be glad, people of Edom, inhabitants of the country of Uz. The cup of the Lord's fury will be passed to you next. You'll get drunk and take off all your clothes. People of Zion, the punishment for your wickedness will end. Yahweh will not let you remain in exile. People of Edom, he will punish you for your wickedness. He will expose your sins. A prayer of the prophet. Remember, O Yahweh, what has happened to us. Take a look at our disgrace. The land we inherited has been turned over to strangers. Our homes have been turned over to foreigners. We are orphans without a father. Our mothers are like widows. We have to pay to drink our own water. We have to pay to chop up our own wood. Our enemies are breathing down our necks. We are worn out and not permitted to rest. We had to beg Egypt and Assyria for food. Our ancestors sinned. Now they are gone, but we have to take the punishment for their wickedness. Slaves rule us. There is no one to rescue us from them. To get our food, we have to risk our lives in the heat of the desert. Our skin is as hot as an oven from the burning heat of starvation. Women in Zion are raped. So are the girls in the cities of Judah. Our leaders are hung by their hands. Our older leaders are shown no respect. Our Young men work at the mill, and our boys stagger under loads of wood. Our older leaders have stopped meeting at the city gate, and our young men no longer play their music. There is no joy left in our hearts. Our dancing has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Because we have sinned, it has been disastrous for us. This is why we feel sick. This is why our eyes see less and less. Foxes roam around on Mount Zion, which lies in ruins, but you, O Yahweh, sit enthroned forever, and your reign continues throughout every generation. Why have you completely forgotten us? Why have you abandoned us for such a long time? O Yahweh, bring us back to you and we'll come back. Give us back the life we had long ago, unless you have completely rejected us and are very angry with us. Hebrews 2, Everything is under Jesus' control. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Then we won't drift away from the truth. After all, the message that the angels brought was reliable, and every violation and act of disobedience was properly punished. So how will we escape punishment if we reject the important message, the message that God saved us? 
First, the Lord told this saving message. Then those who heard him confirmed that message. God verified what they said through miraculous signs, amazing things, other powerful acts, and with other gifts from the Holy Spirit as he wanted. He didn't put the world that will come about which we are talking under the angel's control. Instead, someone has declared this somewhere in scripture. What is a mortal that you should remember him or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put everything under his control. When God put everything under his son's control, nothing was left out. However, at the present time, we still don't see everything under his son's control. Yeshua was made a little lower than the angels, but we see him crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Through God's kindness, he died on behalf of everyone. God is the one for whom and through whom everything exists. Therefore, while God was bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was the right time to bring Yeshua, the source of their salvation, to the end of his work through suffering. Jesus became one of us to help us. Yeshua, who makes people holy, and all those who are made holy have the same Father. That is why Yeshua isn't ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will tell my people about your name. I will praise you within the congregation. In addition, Yeshua says, I will trust him. And Yeshua says, I am here with the sons and daughters God has given me. Since all of these sons and fathers have flesh and blood, Yeshua took on flesh and blood to be like them. He did this so that by dying, he would destroy the one who had power over death, that is, the devil. In this way, he would free those who were slaves all their lives because they were afraid of dying. So Yeshua helps Abraham's descendants rather than helping angels. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters so that he could be merciful. He became like them so that he could serve as a faithful chief priest in God's presence and make peace with God for their sins. Because Yeshua experienced temptation when he suffered, he is able to help others when they are tempted. Psalm 103 by David Praise Yahweh my soul, praise his holy name, all that is within me, praise Yahweh my soul, and never forget all the good he has done. He is the one who forgives all your sins, the one who heals all your diseases, the one who rescues your life from the pit, the one who crowns you with mercy and compassion, the one who fills your life with blessings so that you become young again like an eagle. Yahweh does what is right and fair for all who who are oppressed. He let Moses know his ways. He let the Israelites know the things he had done. Yahweh is compassionate, merciful, patient, and always ready to forgive. He will not always accuse us of wrong or be angry with us forever. He has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that is how vast his mercy is toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far he has removed our rebellious acts from himself. As a father has compassion for his children, so Yahweh has compassion for those who fear him. He certainly knows what we are made of. He bears in mind that we are dust. Human life is as short-lived as grass.
grass. It blossoms like a flower in the field. When the wind blows over the flower, it disappears, and there is no longer any sign of it. But from everlasting to everlasting, Yahweh's mercy is on those who fear him. His righteousness belongs to their children and grandchildren, to those who are faithful to his promise, to those who remember to follow his guiding principles. Yahweh has set his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules everything. Praise Yahweh, all his angels, you mighty beings who carry out his orders and are ready to obey his spoken orders. Praise Yahweh, all his armies, his servants who carry out his will. Praise Yahweh, all his creatures and all the places of his empire. Praise Yahweh, my soul. Proverbs 26, 23. Like a clay pot covered with cheap silver, so a smooth talk that covers up an evil heart. Okay, so I made a promise, or maybe it was just a bold claim, but I told y'all that you could not go through the Bible in a year and not be transformed by it. I've also said at different times that God sees us where we are and that he honors our efforts. I believe that. And when I tell y'all that God has been so good this year, that he has honored my efforts in ways not even directly connected to my efforts, I am telling you the truth. He has showed himself faithful time and again while I'm over here studying and prepping for these podcasts. He's been working behind the scenes and in the scenes and rewriting the scenes. Y'all, this journey through the Bible in a year has not been without its trials and tribulations. It has tested my patience, my devotion, and even my will at times. But through all of it, I really am better for it. I'm stronger. I am more committed than ever to living a life that is rooted in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's saying a lot because I feel like I was already rooted in that. But, you know, I also say frequently here, if it ain't from God, I don't want it. And if it is from him, I don't want to miss it. And that includes the storms. That includes the adversity. That includes the difficulties of life. Sometimes we are faced with certain situations that test our endurance, our stamina, and our character. And no, it's not from God all the time, but God does allow things to happen. Things don't happen without his awareness. And so I believe that sometimes those are for very specific reasons that we may not always understand in the moment. But I want to share something with you that is deeply personal to me and my family, and I'm sharing this with my son's permission. The past three years have tested me, tested us to our core. The death of my mother, my sister Kim, my cousin Revelon, my father in love, and sprinkled in there, my childhood Sunday school teacher who had a special connection with my mother, which made her special to me. She knew and loved my mother before I was even born. A former co-worker and friend of my family, transitions by colleagues who I loved like my own kin, plus life just lifing. These years have been so full of unpredictability in the best and worst ways. And so in 2020, my son Mac found himself in a nightmarish situation that no person, no parent should ever have to endure. He was falsely accused of a heinous crime, a crime that really threatened to tear our family apart, literally. There was what felt like a dark 
thick cloud, as ominous and foreboding as anything I've ever experienced, hanging, hovering, looming over us so low that the weight of its presence felt like it was just bearing down on every aspect of our existence, infiltrating every aspect of our existence. And whereas we could escape to physical spaces where no one really knew what was going on, you know, you can never really escape, you know, the internal spaces where the deep pain, the frustration, and the anguish that engulfs your inner life, where that exists, where that resides, you can't, you can't escape that. And so the hurt, the heartache, the uncertainty about his future, that was all, it was suffocating. But in the midst of all of this that was going on, you know, we held on to our faith and we tried to continue to live our lives the best that we could, you know, trying to protect our younger sons from, you know, just some of the stuff that comes along with these kinds of situations and legal proceedings. Like, we were just doing our best to persevere despite what was happening and we believed that the truth would eventually prevail that the one who sees us in our brokenness and carries us through the lowest valleys would not abandon us in our most desperate moment and so last year Max stood in the courtroom and his innocence now mind you this has been going on since 2020 you know, he stood in his courtroom and his innocence is literally hanging in the balance. He was acquitted of two of the charges. There were three charges total. At the end of the day, it ended up being three charges. He was acquitted of two of them, but a single conviction remained. And that single conviction resulted in him being forced to put his lifelong aspiration of playing professional baseball on hold, and that is putting it mildly. Mac was a 2024th round draft pick by the Cincinnati Reds, which in and of itself was a dream come true. And I have to tell y'all the story another day about how that even came to be. And it literally was years in the making, him arriving at that point. So in this moment where we hear you know, the verdict being read and he is found guilty of this charge. We were reeling. Mac, you know, my husband, his father, his biological mother, and me, you know, his bonus mother. And we were overcome with immediate and intense emotion as we realized we're sitting here in a courtroom that these police officers, it was like a, a militia. That's what they looked like in that moment because they were, we were sitting, they were standing like in the aisle and they were like in a certain kind of formation. And I guess this is just their procedure whenever a verdict is being read in a criminal case. Um, we realized that those officers who had come into the courtroom just a few minutes earlier were there to escort our son to prison for a crime that he did not commit. And so this, this weight, the gravity of this injustice was devastating. And I remember sitting there and then like to my left, Shannon's eyes 
eyes were as red as I had ever seen them. And then on my right, Nicole, that's Max's biological mom, she was trembling so hard. I thought she was going to pass out. I thought she was going to collapse. And a few moments later, after that verdict was red and full, she did collapse in my arms. Not faint, but she did collapse in my arms. And I held her as tight as I possibly could. And I was crying with her, but also for her, because I knew that if I was feeling utterly demolished by the agony of this situation as his bonus mother, I could only imagine the depth of her pain as his actual mother. And I I just remember her wailing, my baby, my baby, my baby. And then in that moment, remember my husband, who was also as broken as I had ever seen him, his shoulders low and his head bowed. And I felt a pang of guilt for turning to her to come for her and not to him in that moment. I mean, I I don't feel like I'm accurately painting this picture, but I hope that y'all can see it. I was I was torn for a second and then I I quickly came to the realization was that the truth of it all is that we were all in this together. Our pain was shared and we were each other's support system. However, that came to be that's what it is and so I just wrapped my arms around him and as soon as the judge you know finished her statement Max turned to look at us and we could see this utter fear and terror like in his eyes there was this this absence of understanding this confusion it's like he did not comprehend what was happening he was truly terrified and you have to know my son to know how big of a kid he is and so that's what we saw a kid our kid our innocent kid being carted off in handcuffs as he walks out of the courtroom flanked by officers leading him to a cinder block cell until his sentencing, which wouldn't happen for another 30 days. And that realization made the pain of an already traumatic situation all the more unbearable. Of course, you know, we want to go to him. We want to hold him. We want to tell him that everything would be all right. But we couldn't. You can't do any of that. You can't You can't hug him. You can't. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy and it is painful. And instead of being able to hold him, we're just left holding this, this burning question of exactly how such a miscarriage of justice could occur. And, you know, in those moments, you just start questioning everything. Well, should we have done this? And should we have done that? And did we hire the right attorneys? And did we do this right? And did we do that right? And, you know, what, what are we supposed to do now? But God... <laughs> He is so faithful. Mac had the toughest judge in the county. She is known for her severity. Like this is her reputation throughout the whole, like the whole legal system, all those relationships and connections and associations. Like everybody knows her for being the most severe and strict in her sentences if you are found guilty in her courtroom. But the day that my son came back for his sentencing, 
My pastor came and he gave an impassioned plea on my son's behalf. And of course, I cannot get into all of the nitty gritty details. The storyteller in me wants to give y'all all of the details, but I'm trying to make this uh, an appropriate length for the format of this podcast. Anyway, add to that, the accuser had a drastic change in demeanor on that day and the judge noticed it and she questioned it and after you know they got finished with all of the formalities or proceedings in in this particular um, aspect of the case Judge Saffold was far more lenient than anyone could have possibly guessed, expected, or anticipated. The words that left her mouth were such a blessing and a huge relief. Like, y'all don't know, I can't make y'all understand in this moment because I didn't have time to really write this out the way that I want to communicate it to y'all. But y'all, I, I trust that you're getting where I'm going with this. He was facing 18 months in prison and she gave him probation, y'all. Like, she gave him the judge who is known for giving out the they could not believe it like word traveled around that okay I'm getting off I'm getting off subject let me let me go back to the story so our baby got to come home and he will remain free while we fought for his name to be cleared and to prove you know his innocence once and for all and so I'm gonna wrap this up y'all that conviction was overturned on appeal did y'all hear what I just said? The conviction was overturned on appeal. And I need y'all to understand that this doesn't happen. The stat is something like less than 7% of cases. Higher courts don't typically reverse lower court decisions. I mean, they have to have a very compelling, convincing reason to overturn a lower court decision. Well, in this case, Mac was one of the few exceptions. The appellate court overturned it, and this resulted in a new trial and another opportunity for him to clear his name. So fast forward to this past week. Since last Monday, we've been in trial, and now y'all know why I started crying that day. When I thought I was playing church, I was going to do my best preacher impression, and I wanted to use no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Well, I didn't know where that verse was in the Bible, so... I, you know, Googled it, looked it up, and little did I know that that wasn't even the whole verse. And y'all who have already listened to that episode, you know, you might remember me talking about this. But when I saw the next part of that verse, Isaiah 54, 17 is the verse. It says that he will silence the voice of your accusers. Y'all, <laughs> I lost it. I mean, y'all heard me. I couldn't believe it. God was literally working a miracle in our lives. And he was giving me an early inside look at what he was planning to do. Now, listen, I never for a second doubted God's ability to bring my son through this trial. But when I tell y'all my faith was stretched and my emotional resilience was at the limit, I mean it without exaggeration. Watching someone you love, let alone a child, your child, go through something like this to have to listen to someone you know is lying and you can't just jump up and say you a blankety blank blank lie. You can't pull them to the side when they get off the stand and say, 
Now, honey, why are you doing this? Then to listen to the ones who are responsible for protecting the innocent, the ones who were supposed to protect my son in this case to make sure that a false allegation against him never saw the light of day, to hear them say, oh, I didn't do, insert, very important investigative task after task after task because I didn't think it was necessary. Or, oh, no, I didn't follow up or seek out, insert, very important investigative task after task after task because, well, I don't know why I didn't do it. Would that have been helpful? Sure, that would have been helpful. Well, why didn't you do it? I don't know why I didn't do it. And you can't go up there and say to him, if this was your child, is this how you would have handled this case? Would you want somebody on your child's case who conducted themselves in the same manner that you conducted yourself in my son's case? <sighs> okay, so let me let me really, really wrap this up because I've been here too long. Y'all, we got to the final step in the proceedings before jury deliberations on yesterday. Yes, because this is Tuesday's episode. So on yesterday, and in an unexpected turn of events that nobody saw coming, the judge dismissed the case. <laughs> she said, and I'm paraphrasing, that in all her 36 years, she had never seen a witness with worse credibility referring to the accuser and that no juror could reasonably convict based on that testimony. To say that it was like a weight had been lifted off our shoulders doesn't do us justice, no pun intended. This was like a weight had been lifted off our backs. And that still ain't good enough, but you get the point. I couldn't believe it. Our son is finally free from up under all of this legal ugly stuff. All of the sleepless nights, all of the tears, all of the prayers, like... We could finally exhale. We could breathe a little easier. We could, I don't even know all the things that we can do yet because we're obviously, you know, still processing and decompressing from all of the tension that has been built up. God gave our son his life back. Now the legal battle might be over, but there is an emotional aftermath, particularly for Mac, who still has to work through the trauma of what he went through. He's gonna need some professional support for his mental and emotional health. And we're of course gonna see to it that he has access to that. But if you would be so kind to say my son's name in your prayers, I would greatly appreciate it. And even the person who accused him, the Bible says to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who do you wrong and persecute you. Hey, what I tell y'all the other day, we don't have to like everybody, but we do have to love them. I'm a Jesus follower. That is hard to do right now. But I know that forgiveness is the only way and we are moving on. This has truly felt like God doing what no one else could. And so, excuse me for a second while I personalize this. Lord, I have just come to say thank you because of who you are and the way you love on and look out for me and mine. Lord, I love you. And I want you to know how 
deeply, utterly, profoundly, and profusely, I appreciate the fact that you did the impossible, impossible. I got questions, but I still know you're able. This current situation is testing my faith. Who would come and save me? My family's leaning on me. I've had to be strong for everybody else. But I'm praying, can you please help me? Say, do it yourself. Provides for me. He blocked it. 